Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. We all hope that the best is yet to come, but there are things in life that can trip us up or detour us from God's plan. How do we avoid those things so that we can truly walk in all that God has for us? Join us for our message series, Landmines and Quicksand, making sure the best is yet to come. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? It is so good to see you, especially if you're a guest. We're glad to have you worshiping with us today. Hope you're experiencing the presence of God. Hey, before we go any further, uh, I used to teach school, so I learned a very important lesson while teaching school, and that is if if the students notice something shiny and they all start looking at that, (laughs) it doesn't matter what I say. They're not paying attention anymore. So I'm going to go ahead and just call out the shiny thing in the room, and that is my face that looks like a medium rare lobster. So... Since you're just going to go ahead and, because they make it that big on the screen, at some point you're going to be thinking, what happened to that man? So here's what happened to this man. I I ran off stage last week, out the side door, into a car, to the airport, and I spent the week in the Never Summer Wilderness. That's a warning. In Colorado, the Never Summer Wilderness. So between the, the snow and the wind and the sun... This is actually already peeled a layer. That's scary how quickly that burned. I, I felt like a piece of leather from like 1850 kind of thing. So anyway, just trying to protect what's left of, of my face and, and whatever. So, you know, appreciate you guys not laughing nearly as much as the first service did. I think they're a little sadistic or something. They, they had a lot of fun with that one. So apparently when you're at 12,000 feet, which is a lot closer to the sun, it, it makes a difference. Yeah, well, I would have never known that, you know, but then again, I'm just an East Coast sea level boy. What would I know about that sort of thing? So life is all good. Uh, hey, anyway, uh, we're in a series. No, whoa, whoa, before we get into the series, hey, uh, told you about something last week about uh, our expansion. Before we get to that, even one more thing. You, you hopefully were paying attention to those announcements a moment ago, talking about life groups that are coming up. And, and this really is important because life groups are not an extra thing we do. Life groups are a part of who we're called to be as the church. You know, here in the Bible Belt, there, there's kind of a little thing that we've gotten into that truthfully, it's, it's a little off from what the Bible says we're supposed to be. We believe this is church. And this is not church. This is something the church does. See, coming together for an hour and, and telling God how great he is and learning from his word, it, it's worship. It's one thing the church does. This is not your entire life right here in terms of following Jesus. I just really want to encourage you. We need to be the the family of God together. That's what the church is. We are the family of God on planet earth. and, And we need each other. We need people that we can call when things are not going well. We need people who are praying for us, people who know what's really going on in our lives, people we're honest with. We need those people. And that's what life groups are. And so here, I want to go ahead and do this for me. If you have ever been in a life group here at Grace Life, would you raise your hand? If you've ever been through a life group here at Grace Life, very good. That's a lot of hands. Now, here's the deal. You are hereby qualified to lead a life group. That's exactly what that is. 
our, our requirement is that you have been a part of Grace Life long enough to go through a life group so that somebody knows you well enough, and, and then now you're ready to go and help other people find community, find friends, and build those relationships. So I really want to challenge you, if you're one of those people who just raised your hand, and you've never thought about it, or you think somebody else will always do it, here's the problem. The person beside you who raised their hand is also thinking you will do it. And here's, we've just grown to a point we cannot do this with 10 or 20 or even 50 people. We, we, we need more of you to say, honey, let's do something. So I want to encourage you if, you, if you're a man, you can lead a men's group, you know. If you're, you can lead a women's group, if you're a woman, that's kind of how those things work. Uh, you know, go home and talk to your spouse, pray about it. Maybe you want to lead a group for marriage, for couples. You want to just get together as couples. Maybe you want to get together as families and, and just talk about what God is doing in your life and, and just get together and share. Matter, matter of fact, maybe somebody, anybody in here love food? Does anybody in here eat dinner? All right, there you go. Dinner group, right? And you cook food together. You have a great time. And then you talk about what God is doing in life together. This doesn't have to be something that's difficult, right? So please, please, please go home, pray about it, think about it, and, and consider helping those around us. Amen? Amen. Cool. Well, if you were here last week, I told you about something new that's happening here at Grace Life and just going to keep giving us an update on where we are. And that is that we need to expand we, we, we need more room. Actually, we're about to need more room for seats, but we'll talk about that another day. Right now, we need more room for cars because we asked you to ride your horses to church and none of you took us up on it. And since you seem to, you know, as Americans, keep showing up in those vehicles, we, we need more room to park. We, we talked about this last week. In the 52 weeks, because last week was our one-year anniversary in this building, in the 52 weeks that we were in this building, we saw 193 people give their lives to Jesus. And that, that's amazing. And I'll tell you, we, we didn't have room for that. Matter of fact, in, in our old building, we, we all together in all three services were, were barely this many people. Now we're doing this three times a day. And lives are, are being changed. Well, here's the cool part. Since last Sunday, six people on Sunday morning and three of our youth at camp, so that number is now 202 people in the 53 weeks that we've been here, have given their lives to Jesus. Amen. Right? So when we talk about expanding, it's not just a parking space. It's the opportunity for people to have their life changed. And so we built this building. We, we have, we're getting ready to expand. And this room's going to get bigger. This room was made to go to 1,200 seats, just so you know. And it will someday. But right now, this is what we're doing. So uh, again, if you've ever been a part of Grace Life, you already know. There's never a high-pressure cell. I'm never going to follow you in the hallway, ask you what you're doing. I'm going to let you know how you can make a difference. If it touches your heart, great. We want you to be a part of it. If not, then that's, that's okay. Whatever God puts in your heart. So here's the numbers. Here's where we are. About $777,000 is our budget for the parking lot, which is only possible because the contractor loves us, and he's actually one of us, and so his entire fee is free. So that's already $100,000 off the top at least. And then we've had two donations uh, for a total of $250,000. They want to remain anonymous, but they're awesome. Let's praise God for those, those two right there. We're going to have enough dirt left that when we sell the dirt, it's going to bring back about 140000 That leaves about 387000 Since I was 
in Colorado all week. I don't actually know the real number, uh, but, but I was told this morning that over 20,000 was given last week, and you had no warning. That was just like, hey, anybody want to do it? And before the buckets passed, you already figured out 20,000. So here's the good news. That means that's uh, like 360-something, and, and we're going to get there. So here's the deal. We have been given uh, a guarantee of an interest-only short-term loan. So if we need any of that for 300000 we can. But my, my hope would be that as a family, we can come together over these next four, five, six months and uh, do whatever God puts on your heart and and let's see if we can just go ahead and pay for this and and get the trees coming down and make room for more people amen you guys good with that all right cool so we're kicking off uh, no we're not kicking off we're in part two of a series that we did kick off last week funny little bumper we got going on there landmines quicksand and we could add the rest of it landmines quicksand roadblocks and poison we're gonna have a great four weeks talking about this Uh, and the subtitle is very very simple making sure the best is yet to come If you were here for part one, I've already told you where this series came from. There's a very famous pastor in America who was just killing it. I mean, started a new church, was growing faster than any church had ever grown. It was one of the largest churches in America and definitely one of the fastest growing churches. He was writing books, speaking at conferences. He was what we would say is an overnight success. You guys do know that when someone's an overnight success, they've been working really hard behind the scenes for a very long time, right? Okay, so, but he would always say his favorite mantra was the best is yet to come, the best is yet to come, the best is yet to come. It worked its way into every message almost every time he ever got in front of a microphone he'd always say the best is yet to come and then one day I open up my news app and I see that he's been fired and lost his family and immediately the thought went through my head the best is not yet to come for him I didn't mean that as a slam I, I, I didn't even mean it it just went that fast into my mind but what began to hit me was the thought the best is always yet to come until I mean there's just that day and, and I started thinking about my own life, like, God, God, what would it take to make tomorrow be the until? What, what would it cause my life? Like, I'm just saying, man, yes, this is amazing. Life is good. Life is good. And then one day, it's not the best yet to come. And so I started thinking, what are the things that we could deal with and what can we take control of? Because here's the reality. Life is not always perfect, Right. Life is not always perfect. We're going to have some storms. We're going to go through some seasons. We also have some other people in our lives that sometimes they just do some stuff and we're along for the ride. This series is not about those difficulties because God redeems those, works through them. It's amazing on the other side how those will turn out. This series is about four things that you and I can control. Four things that are our choices to make sure the best is yet to come. And the reason we're doing this series is because I believe it's God's will for you. I absolutely believe God's plan for you is that tomorrow is the best, and the day after that is the best. See, it actually comes out of Scripture. Proverbs 4.18 is our theme verse for the whole series. It says, the path of the righteous, and the righteous are those who are right with God. The path of those who are right with God shines brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. You can just keep adding those in there, and brighter until full day. that's what our lives are supposed to be like that after we start following God it just keeps getting better we walk more and more in the will of God and his plan for us and and that's what we're supposed to experience but the truth is we don't always experience that so we started the series last week with the first of these four things and uh, we started with landmines that's where we're going and again as we use these four funny words throughout the series it's just to help you remember them and they're not tricky landmines are things that you step on and they blow up right? And they're hidden though. 
And so one of the things that this pastor did have in his life were some hidden things that blew up on him. There were some secret sins is what we were talking about. And those landmines will destroy our lives unless we remove them from our lives. If you missed part one, please go back and get that because you don't want landmines blowing up on you. Today we're going to talk about what will sink your future. So we're talking about quicksand, right? So what possibly could be something that sinks your future? Check out this picture I've got for you right here. This is a... Uh, Ooh, look at the, well, there we go. This is uh, Henry Cavill getting ready to be clobbered by Jason Momoa. And uh, if you know who Jason Momoa is, he's Aquaman, right? I mean, super big, strong. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would not like to turn around and see that coming at me. Yeah? Okay, but think about this. He is standing there on the what is supposed to be red carpet, I presume. Pink, purple carpet, I don't know, and just kind of like, well, of course you may take my picture. Sure. Would you like it for a magazine? And he is a second from being absolutely destroyed. Let me show you what we're talking about today. It's Proverbs 132, and it says this, For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. You see, complacency means to be at ease, to be satisfied even though danger is lurking, right? And that's exactly where he was. He's just like, hey, come on, yeah, I'm cool. Take a picture of me, look at it. And danger is right there. Here, here's the thing. We have danger around us all the time. There is an enemy ready to take you out. And we get very satisfied and at ease with how things are going. See, God created you for a purpose. The Bible tells us that before he laid the foundations of the world, he already designed you to do specific things on the world. I mean, it just that blows my mind when I think about this. We are not biological accidents. We are uniquely created by the creator of the universe for a purpose, right? And our enemy has one purpose. That is to keep you from living that very thing. To do everything in his power to take that out, take you out. And it is so easy, though, for us to just get, oh, man, life's kind of good. This is okay. Yeah, I'm good. And, and we just become complacent. I, I was fishing at 11,700 feet, this beautiful lake at the top of these mountains this week. And the mountains were gorgeous, and they're snow-capped. And, and because it was so cold, I'm, I'm covered in like three layers and got a hoodie and a hat and everything on. And I've never fished in my entire life. Never. <laughs> I'm not a very patient person. I don't stand still very well. But because I had no phone service for three days, no television, no anything else, they gave me a fishing pole. They taught me what to do with it. And crazy enough, I caught something. And so I threw it back. And I caught something again. I've never fished in my life, and that day I caught seven brook trout, which then we learned how to clean and cook for dinner over a campfire. It was delicious. Sorry to all of the vegans in the room. Here's my point. I was doing so well in this spot where the sun was coming at me and the wind was coming off the mountains and just blowing at me, but I was catching fish. I didn't care what was happening right here until I went home and it was all cracked and dry and kept me awake all night long for three days. We just become complacent with where we are. What I want to do today, though, is not just sit here and, and argue about complacency the whole time, because that will sink your future. What I want to do 
is show you the person in the Bible that I think above everybody else, one of my favorite people in the Bible anyway, but above everybody else rejected complacency when he probably had the best right to complacency of anybody. I, I think, you know, sometimes we, we feel a little justified, don't we? Like, you know, well, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. So let, let's just check this out. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. Uh, if not, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen right here beside us. So at the very beginning of the, the chapter, here's where it is. It says, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. Okay, so Darius is the ruler at the time of this region. We're going to find out a little bit more about that in a minute. And so he comes up with 120 governors, basically. And they each get a province, and they're going to be in charge. And, and so then it says, with three administrators over them, because you can't always trust them. And one of those three was Daniel. And so the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself. Check that out. Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So, so we've already got like the whole kingdom, then we've got 120, and then we've got three, and now suddenly at the king's right hand, we're going to have this one guy, Daniel. And you may say, okay, what's the big deal? Well, here's the big, the big deal is going to require taking you back to your middle school world history class. And so some of you are going to enjoy this and others are going to be traumatized. And sorry about that, but here we go. Okay, so back in this ancient biblical time, Daniel was a good little Jewish boy who, who was raised in Israel. Israel was God's people on planet earth, right? But God had warned his people because they were not following his ways. And so finally at this point, God sends a judgment. The judgment came in the form of the Babylonians. The Babylonians conquered Israel, destroyed almost everything, left almost nothing, and took almost everyone captive back to Babylon. Daniel was one of them. Daniel was a young teenager when this happened. And so you, you would think, if you were taken captive, and you have now been turned into a slave of this government empire that is conquering the entire known world, Oh yeah, and one more thing, if one of your own prophets named Jeremiah, where we get the book Jeremiah, said, better make yourself comfortable, y'all go be there a while. When God's people, when God's prophet tells God's people, get, get settled, build houses, go ahead, because you're not coming home anytime soon. <laughs> this isn't changing next week. <laughs> Don't bother to ask God to deliver you just yet. It's going to be a little. When you've got that kind of news, and you've been turned into a slave of the, the most domineering world empire. I don't know about you, but I think he had a right to just say, who cares? He had a right to just say, this is as good as life is going to get. I'm not working very, why should I work hard? Going to make me make bricks for you? It might be crooked. <laughs> who cares, man? Oh, you, you want 100 of them? I don't know, 90. I don't, I don't feel like working too fast today. I don't. Not too worried about what you think of me. After all, you already conquered my world, burned my house, killed half my family. I'm going to be trapped here until the day I die. Exactly why should I care? If there's anybody who I think had a legitimate excuse for complacency, it'd be Daniel. At this point in the story, though, he's about 70 years old. And no longer is it just that Israel has been conquered by Babylon. Now Babylon has been conquered by the Medes and the Persians. This Darius guy, this is now the third kingdom that Daniel has been a part of. And when we think about the reasons that we can just get so complacent with life, just like, yeah, 
Ah, who cares? Daniel grew up in a family of nobility. Daniel grew up with dreams and hopes. He was one of God's people. He was one of the wealthy, noble families of God's people in in the nation of Israel. I'm pretty sure he had great expectations for his future. And it was not to be a slave by the time he was a teenager in a pagan land that didn't worship God for the rest of his life. Disillusionment is the first reason that many of us will find ourselves in a place of complacency. Because we had dreams, and we had hopes, and we had expectations, and you woke up and said, what is this thing called life? Why am I not where I thought I would be? Why am I not doing what I thought I'd be doing? This is very disappointing. And typically at that point, we turn our anger and frustrations toward the ruler of the universe, God. I mean, think about it if you were in Daniel's shoes. Come on, God. I was one of your people. Can't you protect your people? I get it. Some of us were bad, but some of us were good. Why should I have to suffer with those who were bad? Why should I have to go through this? Why couldn't you have left me in Israel? Why do I have to be a slave? Why do I have to be taken away? Why do I have to spend the rest of my life? It's very easy to get angry at God, get very disappointed, very disillusioned with with where we are. Sometimes the reason that we we become complacent and we stop caring about tomorrow is, is just plain apathy. And there are different reasons we can have apathy in our lives, but I think one of the main reasons is we don't care about tomorrow because we don't have vision for tomorrow. We just reach a point where we've had so much disappointment or, or whatever that we stop dreaming. And when you lose all hope for today, you lose all vision for tomorrow. And then we just become a person who couldn't care less. Just, well, whatever. I hate my job. You know, I, I don't have a nice house. You know, such and such is going wrong, and so and so doesn't like me, and this and that, and whatever. And and then the third reason that I think some of us settle into complacency and and don't elbow the person beside you, especially if you're a mother, because you're likely to want to do this, but it's just laziness. Some of us are just lazy, right? Come on, that was funny. Some of you are lazy. (laughs) You've been around those people. Like, you're at home watching television, and you stand up, and the other person goes, you going to the kitchen? (laughs) Uh, No, I was was actually going to the bathroom. Why? Well, you know, if you were going to the kitchen, I was hoping you'd refill this for me. Well, I'm not going to the kitchen. You can do it. Well, I don't really want it that bad. Oh, you... you don't want it bad enough to get yourself off the couch, but you want me to go get it for you? Okay, just for the record, if y'all invite me to your house for dinner and you're lazy, I'm not doing it for you. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. I will not be a very good southern guest if you're not going to be a good southern host. That's just enough. But we're just going to leave that right there. Probably just got uninvited to some things, but apparently I don't care because if you're that lazy, who knows what you were going to serve me anyway, right? I mean, hey. Ow, that hurts. I got like blisters and all kinds of things. I'm not supposed to be smiling right now. Anyway, who... Seriously, raise your hand for this. Who wants to make sure the best is yet to come? Who, who really wants to think that the best for what God has for you is in front of you? Then here's the deal. Don't let complacency sink your future. See, if you want to make sure that the best is yet to come in your life, then you've got to give life your best. Did you hear that? If you want to make sure the best is yet to come in your life, you've got to give life your best. 
We're not going to put this up there, but Paul wrote a, a scripture in 1 Corinthians that says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Too many of us, we don't run to get a prize. And let me give you some really good news right now. You don't have to beat the person beside you in this race. Because your prize is your prize. It is yours alone. You were created for that. You do not have to beat the people in the aisle beside you. You do not have to beat the people on the other side of the room. No, no, no. That's their prize. That's their best. You only have to outrun yourself. You only have to give your life your best and get out of your complacency so that you can have what God created for you. Here's the really sad part, though, is we become so complacent and so disappointed with life that we get to heaven and we have not achieved our best, which means the only person we lost to was God's plan for us. You don't have to beat anybody else. But we do have to run in such a way as to get the prize. So the question right now, if you notice that phrase, Daniel so distinguished himself that he became the king's right hand. Think about this. A Babylonian king does not choose a Babylonian to be at his right hand. The Persian ruler does not choose a Persian to be at his right hand. Daniel so distinguished himself that as a slave, a conquered slave, he rose to the top. And some of us, man, that would be our very excuse, wouldn't it? Like, well, there's no chance of this. Well, I didn't go to Harvard. I could never be the best lawyer. I didn't go to Juilliard. I could never be the best musician. I, I, you know, I just, I could never because. I mean, Daniel, in the worst circumstances, rises to the top. And I don't know about you, but I would like to say, why? Because I want to give that my best shot in my life. You guys with me? So actually, the answer is right there in Scripture. Let's just keep reading the very next verse. It says, as the administrator at this, now, what is this? Let's back up and remember, Daniel just got named number one over all of them. And so at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy. He was neither corrupt nor negligent. If you were here for part one last week, we talked about those landmines. Things that are hidden, the corruption, the lack of integrity, the character, the hidden sins, the things that blow up on you. Check this out. They are specifically looking for a landmine. They couldn't find one. They're stomping around Daniel's life. Come on, something's got to blow up around here. Something, something's got to blow this guy. There's no way this guy's that good until they say, this guy's that good. Like, there, 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 there's nothing. He's got no secrets. There, there's nothing he's ever done with, with the girl down the street. There's, there's nothing hidden in his apartment. You know, we checked his browser history. He's clean, man. I'm telling you what, this guy is good. He, he, he found a penny, and he gave it back. Um, th there's just nothing. There are no landmines. Character is how he distinguished himself, number one. Number two is faith. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless, wait, I've got an idea, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. 
This is actually where the story that Daniel is famous for. If you grew up going to church and hearing Bible stories or whatever, this is the part of the story that you know Daniel for. Daniel and the lion's den, right? Because here's the deal. They know he's never going to do anything wrong unless we make what he does right into something wrong. And so they went to the king and said, hey, king, we've got an idea. Why don't you, because you're an awesome king and you deserve this, why don't you make a proclamation that if anybody bows down to anyone except you, if anyone worships anything except you for this season of time, that they'll be executed. Now here's the deal. Daniel has risen to the right hand of the king. And so at this point, this is not a relationship of just, oh, who are you? Yeah, bring me that. No, no, no. Matter of fact, it goes on as Daniel is condemned to death to say that the king is praying for him. That's the kind of relationship the king has with him. That's the kind of relationship Daniel has with the king. And yet, you can just imagine Daniel saying, well, I like him. I like him a lot. He's a great guy, but I like my God more. I like my position. I like it a lot, but I love my God more. And so, the proclamation was passed. Daniel did in his faith what he would always do, and that is put God first. Now, don't miss this, because if you know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel is thrown into a den with hungry lions, but he gets out. And this is very important for you and me as we will try to put this into our lives, because here's the deal. Daniel could get himself into that lion's den, but he couldn't get himself out. The only reason that Daniel didn't get eaten was because of God. It was because of God. And here's for you and me what that means. God designed your best. You want to make sure the best is yet to come? God designed you. God designed your best. Your best, whatever that is for you, your tomorrow that you hope and dream for, it's God's plan for you. And you will never get it apart from him. You can't get yourself out of the lion's den. Only he can. This is what he has for you. Now, I know at this point, some of us, we look around the world, and, and, and we look at people who are not Christians, and their life is good, and we get just a little bit of angry jealousness. Come on, somebody, right? Just go ahead and admit it. You're in church. You can't just, no, not me, pastor, right? We do it. We're like, that ain't fair, God. Why you treat them so well? Look, he treats them because in many cases, they simply are putting biblical practices into their lives. They don't even know it. They're using wisdom, they work hard, they, they honor people, whatever the story is. And maybe they actually did their homework and, and obeyed their parents, and then they got into a good cause. Co- Who knows? But even as good as their life is, imagine if they added God into that picture. And then you'd really be jealous. I mean, you'd be so bad like God. I mean, it'd be <laughs> you can't have God's best without God. You want to make sure the best is yet to come? It's not going to come apart from what God's doing in your life. You are going to have to pursue him. So already we see Daniel excelled in his character. Daniel excelled in his faith. And Daniel excelled in one more really, really important area. And that's work. Daniel excelled in his work. Check this out. We're actually going to go all the way to the back. If you're following along in your Bible, you're not going to get there. Because we're going to go to the very beginning of Daniel's story, chapter 1. And this is when he's first taken captive by the Babylonian. And the Babylonian king says, then the king commanded, hey, bring some of the people of Israel. There's got to be some good people out there that can do more than make bricks. So, so find some that are skillful in all wisdom. They're endowed with knowledge. 
they're understanding learning because I want to teach them some new stuff, learn some new languages. I, I'm going to need them to, to continue to grow and, and competent to stand in the king's palace and among these were Daniel. Among these were Daniel. I'm going to hurt your feelings if you don't know it. Christians do not have a reputation of being hard workers. Did you guys know that? If you go and talk to business owners and bosses, and, uh, you know, we, we love to do this thing like, oh, you're a Christian on the application. Well, well you're a shoe-in. I'm going to hire you, you know. No, typically when bosses see that you're a Christian, they, they think twice. Come on, y'all, we should laugh at ourselves. I'm really, <laughs> y'all are looking at me like, he's saying bad things about us. <laughs> I'm just telling you what I've been told by bosses over and over and over again. You see, because we sometimes tend to think that since we're under grace and forgiven that, that we expect our boss to be like, you know, Jesus. Oh, well, I'm so sorry I was late, but, you know, hey, we're going we're gonna to be together in heaven, so <laughs> you can overlook that right. That's <laughs> yeah, all good. Well, you know, I'm only late because I was, I was praying this morning. <laughs> That's pretty good. Day, you know? Oh, I know, I said I'd do it and I didn't do it, but hey, you have to forgive me. Come on. We're not good workers. We're not known for our work ethic. I am sorry to tell you that. Go talk to any boss, Christian or non-Christian, and ask them their opinion of Christian workers. We don't have Daniel's reputation. And I think we need to change that. I think we need to become people who work really hard. See, here's the thing. The people who want the best are hungry for the best. Too often we just sit around and go, man, I'd love it if best where you have to come. Maybe the Amazon Prime truck was just ringing to me. I don't know. Netflix. Yep, I'd love the best to be yet to come. Hey, you going to the kitchen? <laughs> if you want the best, you're going to have to be hungry for the best. You need character. You need faith. You need work. If you've been around Grace Life, most of you know I'm a musician. I was a music major and you know I'm a concert pianist. What you may not know is the humiliating way that I became a concert pianist. I went to college as a trumpet major until I found out I sucked. True story. Went to my first trumpet lesson with my trumpet professor as a college freshman, and he looked at me and said, take that thing and put it back in the case. For six months. And maybe you will have forgotten enough that we can start over story. See, although I liked playing trumpet and enjoyed band, no one along the way bothered to educate me that someone with a severe overbite will never be a great trumpet player. And I actually worked very hard. But the harder I worked, the more that I tightened the wrong muscles the wrong way and actually got worse. I was so bad, I used to actually practice in my bedroom by putting my pillows up against the headboard because I knew I was throwing that trumpet. I would miss, no, I, I, and no matter how hard I worked, I would just get angrier and angrier. Take a deep breath and try again, and it just never worked. And so at this point, I've gone off to college to tell all of my friends that I'm going to be a, a musician. And my professor just told me, don't touch your instrument because you're so bad. And I'm having one of the worst days of my life. And so I wandered down the hall, to see a piano professor who was, was giving out some examinations. Every music major has to take a series of semesters of piano class. 
And I'd hoped to skip the first one because the backstory is I knew that much about piano. My mom hoped that all of her children would grow up and, and play the piano and sit around and play hymns for her in the evening. That's true. And uh, so when I was like in second grade, she, she got me in piano lessons for a, a few weeks. I think it was supposed to last longer, but there was this sweet little church lady who, who played the organ at the church, and she was teaching me lessons, and she would keep saying, well, you know, practice makes perfect. You be sure and practice this week, because practice makes perfect. And after a few weeks of that, I just looked at her and said, but nobody's perfect, so why practice? I'm glad you thought it was funny. She didn't. And she grabbed me by the arm, took me out to my mama's car, and said, do not bring him back. Moral of the story is, though, I had learned where middle C was. I knew the notes. I knew what the white keys and the black keys were, and I knew how to play a C scale. So I thought I could at least get out of the first semester where trombone players were going, what do you do with these things? You know, I thought I could at least skip that. And then God showed up. Because when I went to see if I could skip a semester, the professor just for no reason, and we talked about it later, he said, I don't know why, and he's not a Christian. But he just got intrigued and he said, so you can play a C scale, can you play another scale? And it turns out I knew the notes, but I didn't know the right fingering. But he was still intrigued that I knew all the right notes. And, and he thought he could work with that. He said, have you ever thought about being a piano minor? And I'm thinking, I'll be anything right now. I don't want to call my parents and say, I just flunked out of music school on day one. And so he's, he said, I'll, I'll teach you a, a, a minor piano minor lesson and, and so here's four little pieces you can work on and, and he didn't bother to tell me that in college you, you work on these four pieces for an entire semester and play them for your final exam and I didn't want to get thrown out of school twice in the same week so I went and found the piano and I practiced eight hours a day the entire week if I was not in a class or doing homework I was at the piano until they locked the building and threw me out every day so I went back for my lesson a week later, and, and he said, did you work on any of these? And I said, yeah. Which ones? All of them. Which part of them? Each of them. All of them. All of them. I didn't know better. And I was not going to hear that. You're not good twice. And that impressed him enough, again, that he said, have you ever thought about being a piano major? I said, I thought about it now. <laughs> Sounds good. For the first time in my life, the work equaled results, which has a little something to do with you can't be anything you want to be, but you can be what God made you to be. God wanted me to be a trumpet player. He wouldn't have given me an overbite. God wanted me to be in the NBA. He would have made me at least five, six. I mean, come on. God. <laughs> Sometimes we try way too hard to be something that we were never meant to be moral of the story, and I don't say this to brag, I say this to hopefully inspire you, is since that worked, that's what I continued to do. For the next four years, I practiced between four and eight hours every single day, seven days a week. And within one year of starting piano, I won a competition to play solo with an orchestra, beating all of the juniors and seniors that had been playing since they were kids. For one simple reason, I was hungry. And they were complacent. They were the upperclassmen, they were the highest scholarship holders, and they were, eh, life's good. And there's a very big difference between complacent and content. Content says, 
Life is good, but I bet God's got something more. I can't wait to see what God wants to do. He's been so good. My life is so good. That's contentment. Complacent is, eh, who really cares? I got a job. I don't like it, but I got a job. Got a house. Don't care for that either. Kind of nasty and dirty, but I've become good friends with the cockroaches, so it's okay. You know, I'm kind of. I'm going to put a truth on the screen here in a moment. You might want to take a picture of it, write it down or something, because here's the deal. If, if you want God's best for you, this truth has got to apply to your life. You're going to have to take this truth and believe it with all your heart. And here it is. It's God's job to promote. But it's our job to be promotable. It's God's job to promote. It's our job to be promotable. You see, God is the one that gave me the incredible privilege of standing here and doing what I do. But it was my job to fight through the difficulties in my marriage. It was my job to get on my knees and learn who God is. It was my job to learn what the Bible says. It was my job to get myself in a position where God could say, you know what I made you for? There you go. And if we're complacent, too many of us will watch our purpose go right past us because we won't be doing our part of becoming who God created us to be. So I'm going to close today with a very, very simple challenge. I want you to talk to God. And I want you to ask God, where have I become complacent? What part of my life do I need to be more like Daniel? Is it my character? Is there something in my character? And character can even include soul wounds. You know, sometimes we, we need to go and get whole and healed and healthy, but we don't. And it shows up in our character as though we're proud or arrogant or obnoxious or mean or selfish. The truth is we're just wounded. Maybe it's in your faith. Maybe you've been trying to become something great with God left way behind. And your best will only come with God. And maybe it's in your work. Maybe the truth is you are lazy or you are apathetic or you just don't care anymore because maybe you've lost hope. And I'm here today to say it's never too late to hope in what God has planned for you. Never too late to hope. And before we close, I, I just want to make sure you understand that your best being yet to come applies to anything. It sounds like we're just talking about maybe your job or a promotion at work or something like that. But no, your best, what you dream of when you say the best is yet to come, it might be to see your entire family under one roof for Thanksgiving because it's been decades since. And so maybe where you need to work is to, to step out and forgive even though they maybe were mostly wrong. Maybe where you need to work is to reach out and send a text even though you think they don't want to hear it or see it or will reply to it. Maybe where you need to work is to get on your knees and pray for that person even though you'd like to slap them. I don't know if your best is Thanksgiving dinner, if it's a relationship healed, or if it is a dream come true. But I believe if we don't let complacency sink our future, we will see what God has for us. And I want to 
close by praying for us. God, I thank you so much that you are so good, that you have a plan for our lives to be brighter and brighter until we look you in the face. God, we want to live in that, that plan. God, I pray right now for every one of us that you will help us to see where we have accepted less than what you want for us. And I pray that we will step up in our character or in our faith or in our work. And we will put ourselves in the position to be used by you for the exact purpose that you put us here, to the fullness of our calling that you created us for. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to close by talking to those who have yet to make Jesus their king. Maybe it's because you, you just, until now, didn't see a need for that. And right now, his spirit is really speaking very loudly to you. And maybe it's because you thought, well, he died for humans and I'm a human, so I'm good. But the truth is, every human at some point has to acknowledge his death and have a, a private exchange with him. If you've never accepted that gift of salvation and eternal life, I want to help you do that right now. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. Would you pray with me right where you're seated? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. And I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great purpose in your kingdom where the best is yet to come. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.